Hello and welcome to the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. The Oregon Wine History Archive is located at Linfield University in McMinnville, Oregon, and is dedicated to preserving and sharing the Oregon wine story. This podcast shares these stories through oral history interviews we've conducted throughout the industry. Please enjoy today's episode. Elisa Lee, we're at Keyword State Vineyard in Amity, uh, June 16, 2022. Elisa, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me, finally. <laughs> no, it feels like we've known each other forever. Uh, first question is, why wine? Uh, well, you know, it never was on my path. I think much like a lot of people in this industry, uh, I started off in the outdoor industry, actually, um, selling outdoor goods, uh, corporate and then, much like a lot of people in this industry, including my friends, I went down the uh, culinary path. So I graduated from culinary school, um, brought me here to Portland, uh, met a lot of good people, which I am still really good friends with to this day in this industry. Uh, restaurant managed, realized that I didn't want to be a slave to the uh, corporate world and uh, my mental health and my physical health was more important to me. And, you know, from there, I kind of took on a little bit of wine uh, while I was restaurant managing the wine list and then decided to get out into the industry. Uh, and that was about early, early 2010, late 2009. And uh, got my first start in uh, the tasting room at Tory Moore. And uh, alongside that with... Uh, the tasting room of Carlton with Jay McDonald. So uh, that's where it all began. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about your sort of initial impressions of wine as you started to learn about it. Was there anything exciting about it to you? Was there anything you like wanted to know more about? I think the initial shock was, uh, you know, the movie Sideways came out. Everybody was interested in Pinot Noir and I actually had liked Pinot for quite some time, uh, so I think a lot of people thought it was kitschy as they were first starting to come out to the you know wine country. It was very small, especially in Dundee when I was first starting off. I mean, I think there were less than 100 tasting rooms and or wineries, and now I don't even know how to, where to even count. Um, but, you know, the, the romance of it was still there. I mean, it still is there. It's just on a very larger scale now. Um, but, you know, it's just everything that came with wine, just from opening the bottles, the labels, to, you know, what it took, to the farming practices, to being out in the vineyard, to seeing people work hard to bring, you know, that fruit to the winery to process it to watch it go through fermentation and then to watch all that labor sit in a cellar for months and then to see it come to fruition and put it into bottle and finally drink it was just something that was always kind of I don't know that curiosity sparked in me at some point uh, which is why I made the uh, move into the cellar rather than working a front of the house per se. Before we get to that, I'm, I'm curious about with the culinary education and then like you mentioned kind of restaurant management, 
what was your sort of formal wine training? What did you have to know to run a wine program? Uh, well, I did the uh, restaurant management studies at uh, Le Cordon Bleu, and they gave you a couple of, of classes that were wine-related wine studies, and one of our instructors was actually a winemaker out in the valley, and, you know, he kind of set us up for learning about wines, uh, nuances, they did wine tastings, uh, but it wasn't until, you know, you actually put yourself out there to go wine tasting, to actually learn about wine, you know, because obviously with any school that you go to, they set you up with giant textbooks like here read this you're not going to read a 2,000 page book on wine right like it's, come on uh, but it's just basically up to whoever you know if you wanted to learn on your own and some of us really liked it some of us really didn't so I think that's where I was just more interested in the wine aspect than I was in the food aspect I mean initially I wanted to open my own catering company but recession <laughs> so yeah. yeah it's interesting interesting, interesting timing for that yes. dream there yeah. tell me about the the first experience in the wine industry you mentioned tori moore and and, uh, and carlton uh what was it like what did you what did you think of it as you were getting into the work and getting into the industry well i didn't have a very good experience uh interviewing with one of the first companies that I wanted to work for and that actually worked out for the best because I ended up working for Tory Moore for a few years and I'm still very good have good relationships with them to this day and Dr. Olson and you know was always very good to me and you know I was able to learn a lot and under Jacques Tardy uh, his winemaking process there was actually very helpful it was one one of the first vintages I ever did was under him. So, uh -huh. you mentioned you mentioned like moving from sort of uh, front of house to back of house. Uh, what what prompted that move for you, and what was the kind of the initial seller experience like? Honestly, it was a bunch of just a lot more people coming out to the industry to just taste and. Uh, I think years in the restaurant industry just made me not want to talk to people as much anymore <laughs> and just kind of want to do the work and uh, I've always been the creative type even when I was a kid I always like to make things build things uh, so I think that's where I thrive the most is when I'm actually making things and I'm seeing things uh, from start to finish mm -hmm. basically what was your impression of the work in the cellar oh it's so tough it's backbreaking and uh you know i mean years of doing it i've i recently just had surgery on my arm so i'm gonna have to have my left arm done next year but i mean it's worth it right i mean i don't know it's pain <laughs> maybe i'm a masochist but i think that's why a lot of us are still in the industry there's just something that ties us to it. Uh, what, so it's an interesting point because we hear that a lot. The work doesn't sound terribly glamorous and yet it's very addicting to some people. So I'm curious, what was it about the actual work that made it worth it, made it exciting? Well, I think it, 
it's not always changing, but it's not always predictable either. Um, I think for me, I've been lucky enough to have been cross-trained in so many departments to where nothing, no day is ever the same for me. So I could, you know, work in the tasting room, I could work in the vineyard, I could work in the cellar, I could do sales, I could, you know. So it changes, but uh, I, I think that's what the challenge is for me. I think if I were to be in a position where I had to do the same thing every day, I'd probably get really bored, which is why I choose to work for the smaller purveyors. So. Who were some of the people, you mentioned Jacques Tardy, you mentioned Jay McDonald, who were some of the people that you, you met slash were impressed by as you were coming into the industry, and, and what did you learn from them about the work and the industry? Um, well, Mo Ayub, who is a dear friend of mine as well, is, uh, his winemaking is, was impressive to me. Uh, definitely a lot of the winemakers I've worked for, the one thing that uh, has always stuck with me is uh, cleanliness. Uh, I wouldn't say anal retentiveness but uh, this just sense of OCD about keeping a cellar clean and keeping your wines clean and, um, and you know, in, in turn, you'll make beautiful wines. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but that's, yeah, that's how I've been very fortunate to have these relationships with people throughout the years and learning. What were the biggest things that you had to learn then coming in, coming into the cellar in that, in that way? Obviously, you had a background in, in wine. What are the biggest things you had to learn um, to work uh, in that sort of back of house in the cellar? And what are the sort of, were there like notable experiences along the way that kind of stand out to you? Um, well, I mean, for one, being a female in the cellar, I think is the biggest thing. Uh, and it still is a thing to this day that a lot of a woman have to deal with, unfortunately, just as part of the industry. And I hate to say it, uh, but, you know, I think women have fought their way to be where they are in this industry and we make damn good wine. So. Has that gotten better? Uh, yes. I think uh, it definitely has gotten better, but obviously there are places where it's still old school and, you know. But it's definitely an industry where you can't be soft. Tell me about, uh, take me through kind of the progression for you then from the from those first couple of jobs. Where did you go next? What were some of the roles that you've held and, and, and were there sort of ones that were of special importance to you? Um, well, I've been everywhere. I've, I mean, I've gone to Rex Hill A to Z. Um, you know, I've been supervisors. I've gone to New Zealand twice for the same company as a supervisor. Um, being able to travel is definitely something I miss. Just, uh, just being kind of a seller rat and, you know, just going hemisphere to hemisphere and but tell me about the New Zealand experience. You mentioned that. Uh, what what was uh, different about it? What was similar about it to working here? I think for me, going at an older age was a little different, just because everybody else that's there is at least ten years younger than you, and uh, so 
it was quite the experience just because I was chosen to go over there by the winemaker and it was probably one of the best experiences I've had in my life. Mm -hmm. um, and it was a brand new facility. They make beautiful wines there, but to be in a, a new country and to experience a different culture is something that I wish everybody could be able to, to experience at least once in their life. Tell me about uh, what brought you here then? What, what, what brought you to working here with, with Nicholas? Um, well, there's another friend of ours in the industry um, she's also a winemaker. She makes amazing wines. Uh, Wynn, Peterson, Edry. Uh, so we're all connected in some way. And uh, she told me that Nicholas needed maybe a hand and uh, reached out. And here I am, his assistant winemaker now. <laughs> so. And tell me what that entails. That entails uh, helping make his wines, uh, taking care of his wines, making sure that uh, his wine club is fulfilled. Um, yeah, tastings, uh, reaching out to distributors. Uh, I'm a woman of many hats. So. You mentioned you had a, you were kind of attracted to small, smaller brands working for kind of, uh, so tell me about Nicholas's brand, uh, Authentique, and, and what it, what appeals about it to you and, and, and what, you know, what kind of changes you've seen with it? Well, he does a less than 2,500 cases generally, and he's generally a very, you know, his wines are, you know, hands off. He likes to experiment with a lot of, you know, upright um, vessels, lots of cement, eggs, um, you know, amphoras. So I like the, the variety of fermenting vessels that he decides to use in his program. Um, it's different than most people. Um, I think a lot of people are experimenting more with amphora and or uh, cement vessels of sorts, but uh, I just think the way that he makes his wines are beautiful and I generally choose to only work for winemakers that I love drinking their wines. With all the people you've worked for, have you developed uh, like a winemaking sort of philosophy or style that you prefer? Is there a, is there a, a way you want to approach a wine? Um, definitely. I, I tend to lean more on the higher acid side of winemaking. Um, but that is to say it differs every year. Um, but I think that's generally kind of the way I like to make wines. Is that food friendliness? Yes. With all the different people you've worked for, obviously you're always kind of, you're helping fulfill someone's vision, right? You're helping fulfill. How do you kind of find your role? In, in the different various cellars you've worked in, how do you find like the, the, the piece you play, the role you play? I find the role I play is the fulfiller. <laughs> I feel like I'm the piece that holds everyone together. And how does that, how, how give, me, give me an example. Uh, well, you know, when 
people start to panic about anything, I'm usually there and I usually get things done and everybody can chill out for the most part. <laughs> or I'd like to think that they'd be able to. You know, I have a way of getting things done. It's like a secret weapon. Kind All of. right, I like that. So I want to talk a little bit about um, 2020 and the, and the last couple of years. Um, what, were you, what was your role uh, during 2020 in the industry, and how did you sort of see it affect both your work and the industry in general? So I actually took a couple of years off, um, but I did help. I came and helped bottle and uh, do a couple of ferments for some people, but... Um, I was present during the 2020 vintage. Uh, I did see how it affected a lot of people's wines. Uh, I saw how they reacted. Many people either dumped their 2020s or they sold them off or some decided to bottle them. Uh, the ones that chose to bottle them, I think, made a wise decision because everybody always wants, especially wine club, I mean, everybody wants to keep a vertical going. You know, I think it would be interesting to revisit the 2020s down the road just to see because we've never, Oregon's never experienced a vintage like that, a fire vintage per se. Um, so just to see how the smoke affected the wines. And how do you see the industry coming out of that? Coming, getting Now that we're kind of at that point where those wines should be coming into the market, what does the industry kind of look like right now? Um, I think the industry is hurting a little bit as far as having things to sell. Um, so I think everyone's trying to push to get 2021s bottled, uh, which may be a little premature. But, um, you know, I think they'll recover from it. Mm -hmm. uh, but... That's why a lot of distributors are coming out and they're tasting wines right now because they're scrambling to recover from the loss of 2020. Let's talk about uh, then what, what comes next. Uh, what about for yourself? Uh, you're, you're here. Uh, do you have uh, plans or goals beyond this? Do you have something you'd like to do in the future? Um, well, you know, I can't do this forever, so... <laughs> I don't know, maybe uh, finally open up that food truck or my uh, kimchi ferment that I've always wanted to do. But I, anytime I try to leave wine, I always get pulled back in, so. Any thoughts on your own brand? I have a few. And what about as you look ahead for the industry itself? Uh, what comes next for Oregon Wine? You know, it just keeps growing. I don't know what comes next. It seems like any time you think it's gonna slow down, it just seems to expand even more. And people are planting where you never thought anything could be planted. Mm -hmm. So, and with the weather changing the way that it has, uh, I'm not gonna say the word, but you know, we're gonna be able to plant lower elevations and I think it's just going to expand and grow beyond anything that we've ever seen. Is there anything you'd like for the industry uh, to grow into? Something, a, a change you'd like to see or, or, or kind of a goal on the horizon? Better pay for everybody in this industry. I've been hearing that a lot lately. <laughs> uh, 
Is that something that's doable here? Oh, it's doable. It's just... It just hasn't been done. Yeah. What about, uh, uh, is there a, something on the horizon that makes you trepidatious or, or something you're f fearful of at Oregon, for Oregon wine? Just fires. Yeah. Uh, if someone were to ask you your advice or words of wisdom on joining the Oregon wine industry, what would you tell them? Oof. Wow. Um, I would say I would ask them many questions on whether that it, it whether it's something that they really wanted to do and they knew that they wanted to do, whether or not they wanted to actually put the work into it, because it's not the type of industry where you can just try it out and think that you're going to like it. Because as you've met many of us, a lot of us have been in it for a long time. And those that have just started out have either kind of figured out that they're going to stay either in the front of the house or they're going to stay in the cellar. So I think it's different now. It's like starting off in a restaurant. Like you start off as a busser and or like a hostess and then you work your way up. Like now I think it's, it's difficult to do that. You can't really make that dive as easy. The transition is not as easy, I don't think. What would you suggest, if, if, if given the choice, what, would, what, should, what should your first step into the industry be? Well, if you want to be a winemaker, then definitely you have to try out the cellar and give out a harp, like a vintage, a try, and know that you're probably going to cry. So... <laughs> That's all the questions that I have for you. Uh, anything I didn't ask that I should have? Anything we should have covered here today that we didn't cover? No, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank you. Sharing your story with us and sharing this beautiful space with us. And I'm going to let you off the hook. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. And thank you to all our supporters, partners, donors, and interviewees who have helped make our project a success. Be sure to check out our website at OregonWineHistoryArchive.org for more interviews, photographs, wine labels, and more. And stay tuned for more interviews as we tell the story of Oregon wine. The Oregon Wine History Archive podcast is brought to you from the Oregon Wine History Archive at Linfield University. With a very special thank you to all the Linfield Archive students who have contributed to these oral history interviews over the years.